Hello, my name is Carl Lloyd Hauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. Good morning. Um, Would you all mind if we just took a minute to honor my dad real quick? Um, Doing this sermon just really made me realize all the work that he puts into bringing just an amazing word to y'all every single week. And he's so faithful and he's so humble and he doesn't seek the approval. Um, But if y'all wouldn't mind just giving him a round of applause for all the hard work he goes through. Thank you. And thank you, dad, for what you do. Um, so as I was preparing for this sermon, it honestly was kind of a struggle. And I think it was a struggle because I had my dad to look up to. He's amazing, as y'all know. Um, and I wanted to bring this like super powerful, like life-changing sermon, like, let's go, God, woo! And I was like praying about it, and I was like, okay, hey, God, come on, like, tell me what to say. And I got nothing. And I was like, God, hello, like, come on, let's do this. And he was like, you need to slow down and think about your motives. And I was like, God, I want to bring a good sermon. That's a good thing, right? And he was like, well, it seems good, but that's not what my motivations are. My motivations are to move. Whether it's a good sermon or a bad sermon, my motivation is for my truth to be spoken. And so I had to sit down and humble myself and say, okay, God, good sermon, bad sermon, your will be done. You speak through me. So let's look in the Bible at an example of two different kind of motivations. Genesis 3, 1 through 7 says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves." So I wonder, what, were this, what was this serpent's motivation in this story? Maybe it was to get back at God. Maybe it was to destroy what God loved. In verse 3, we can, where he says, you must, or wait, sorry. <laughs> in verse 3, where he says, did God really say, we can see that he's planting a little seed of doubt into Eve's mind about who God is. Maybe he was trying to compromise God's character. In verse 3, when Eve says you must not eat it or even touch it, it shows us that Eve allowed God's character to be compromised even before she gave into physical, th- physical sin. In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, it says, But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely, eat freely the fruit from every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. I don't see where God says you can't touch it. And Eve added this little sentence, or touch it, showing that she allowed God's character to be compromised. So I wonder what Eve's motives were. 
When Eve gave in to the enemy's influence, she opened the door for guilt, for shame, for influencing others, for coveting, discontentment, and pain. Verse 3 Six, or yeah, Genesis 3, 16 through 19 shows that this little choice of eating a piece of delicious looking fruit that seems so harmless led to a lot of destruction. And I believe that the whole problem with sin begins with our motives and our thoughts. Yes, Eve's motives might have been reasonable, justifiable to be like God. Temptation can be beautiful or look beautiful, not be beautiful, sorry. <laughs> Temptation can look beautiful. But Eve's temptation, giving into it, ended up with distance from God. It ended up in her being sent out of the garden. And I don't think Eve's heart was to be sent out of the garden or to be distanced from God. I just think she saw something pretty and she wanted it. So she took it. But the temptation of her disobedience was wrapped in this pretty little bow of being like God and knowing good and evil. And this shows us that the enemy is very crafty because he wants our attention. His goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. John 10, 10. But he does it in a way that's attractive. He does it in a way that'll get our attention. He does it in a way that may seem good, but it's not what God has planned. Proverbs, thir- Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. says, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Skipping to verse 7. When, the people's, when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. So I've received his permission to share this story, but when I got back from my discipleship training school with Youth with a Mission, I was given an opportunity to go back for a secondary school. And that was the last thing I wanted to do in my life ever. Um, And so I told God, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going. That was humbling. (laughs) Um, But I also told my parents about it. And as parents who wanted their daughter to succeed and do well, they advised me to stay home, earn the money, get a little bit stable, and then go once I could afford it. And I wanted to respect them because I knew that they had the best intentions. I knew they seek God, and I know that they want me to succeed. So again, I told God, I'm not going. This is impossible. No, no thank you. Fast forward a couple months, I started a great job. I started getting a little more stable after my discipleship training school. But I just had this tug on my heart that wouldn't leave me alone. The secondary school wouldn't leave my mind. And I was really torn because I wanted to honor my parents and I knew they had good wisdom to stay home and earn money and it seemed logistically the best thing to do. But this tug on my heart wouldn't leave me alone. And I knew that it was impossible, I knew it was crazy. This school costs like over $4,000 and it started in four days. And I probably had $50 to my name. (laughs) But the pull was so strong that I couldn't ignore it. No matter what my parents or I thought, I knew that if I was supposed to go, God would make a way. So I posted about it on social media on December 29th, knowing that it was crazy, but ultimately, if it's God's will, it will be done. So God's response and timing never fails to blow me away. On January 1st, a few days after, God had given me enough money to get there um, through y'all. So thank you guys for saying yes and supporting the mission that God has called me to. Um, So I booked a ticket that night, flew out the next morning, fully funded and completely overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God. So I tell that story one, because God is such a good father. He's such a provider, he's so faithful. 
But two, as a lesson my parents and I learned about what motivated us. I was able to see that my parents really wanted what was best for me, and we both wanted what logistically made the most sense. But when it came down to it, God called me to be obedient, even if it sounded crazy, even if it was impossible, even if it made no sense. And it was a very hard decision to go against what my parents wanted and said, but I'm so thankful I did. It was honestly one of the best things I'd ever done in my life. So I was talking to my dad about it the other day, and he said, I was trying to direct you with good motives, but you ultimately chose God motives. And that got me thinking, how often do I let my good motives, or if I'm being honest, my selfish motives, get in the way of what God is doing? It seems so easy for me to lose focus, to be motivated by the things of this world, the things that seem good. But in reality, they're so fickle. They're so unsteady. They're so temporary. It's so easy to want the things that are wrapped in the pretty little bows. I'm so good at getting caught in things that I want, like a good career. I want a husband. I want money. I want to be good at what I do. But if I'm honest with myself and I ask why I want it, is it so I can feel a certain way about myself? Is it so other people can approve me? Is it so I can trust things that I can see or so I can rely on my own strength? Is it because the grass is greener over there so I want it? Or is it because I want Jesus? Because I want his fullness, because I want to rest in his promises. Is it because I want to be one with him? James 4, 1 through 3. says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So how often do we seek our pleasures and our will before we seek God? Have you given up on God motives just to settle for the good things? Church, it's time to get back in line. It's time to quit being a good person and become a God follower because good people only get so far. I'm definitely guilty of running to things that seem good, things that give me instant pleasure before I seek God. I'm so often motivated by pleasure and having fun, but where does that get me? I prostitute my attention to my I prostitute my attention in my heart to things like scrolling on my phone, my work, my job, my relationships, the future before I seek our faithful God. I forget about who he is because I'm so motivated by these pretty little bows and these pretty little things that give me instant relief, but in the end are so unfulfilling. It seems a lot easier. But in doing this, I'm becoming a friend with the world, desiring its instant gratification. God warns us against this in James. James 4, 4 through 8 says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. 
As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Is the world something you want to be friends with? I don't know about you, but I don't want to carry the title of adulterer. I believe that sin is getting louder and louder, it's evident, and now more than ever do our thoughts and our motives matter. Matthew 24, 9 through 13, says, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Do you want to be friends with something that absolutely hates you? Do you want to be an adulterous person? See, this reminds me of a verse in Hosea. Hosea 3.1 says, then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Being friends with the world, chasing its instant gratification, choosing what it has over what God has, makes you an enemy of God. And that's a scary thing to think about. When we put what we desire ahead of God, we're prostituting ourselves to what the world has to offer. Yes, God is so faithful, but I pray that we can understand and realize how much it grieves God's heart when we choose things of this world and when we choose to be motivated by ourselves and not by Him. I love James 4, verse 5 in the Passion Translation. Um, it says, does the scripture mean nothing to you that says, the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. God is a jealous lover. He intensely desires more and more of you. The enemy doesn't want that for you. He wants to plant lies in your head in efforts to separate you from God. He wants us to be bound by the world. He wants us to be friends with something that hates us, that seeks destruction for us. He wants us to be an enemy of God. The enemy wants to sneak into your thoughts. He wants to get you to question who God is. He wants you to doubt God's never-changing character. His voice condemns. His voice says that you have to earn it. His voice says you can't do it. The enemy's voice tells you to just give up. The enemy wants you to feel like dirt. So my sophomore year of high school, I allowed the enemy's lies to get louder than the truth God said about me. And it led me to a pretty dark place. I quit taking care of myself. Um, I developed a pretty bad eating disorder because I didn't feel worth putting food into or taking care of. And I started to become pretty suicidal. I felt like I had a constant track playing through my head saying things like, you don't, you don't deserve it. You're not worth it. I'm the exception. I'm not wanted. I'm ugly. I don't measure up. It's too hard. I don't know how. People's happiness is way more valuable and important than mine. Counterfeit love, that's all I'm worth. I want to ask you something. Are those things you've ever thought? Because those are lies. I was thinking thoughts that led to destruction, to chaos, to death. But God showed me that he's not a God of chaos. He's not a God of destruction. He's not a God of death. 
but we've allowed our thoughts and we've allowed the voice of this world to ruin our true identity. We've allowed the voice of this world to manipulate and change the way that we see God's true character. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I want to challenge you to fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable. Fix your thoughts on what is right, what is pure, lovely, and admirable. And know that the God of peace will be with you when you choose that. Our thoughts have so much power. First Corinthians, or yeah, maybe, I think it's Second Corinthians, sorry. <laughs> Second Corinthians 3, um, through 10, 3 through 6 says, For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign, employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power. Divine power. That's beyond us. To effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every single deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as we choose complete obedience. We have the power to take those thoughts and say no. I'm not letting that in my head because I have the power of the anointed one to crush those thoughts and only think about what is true. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his thoughts about you. His desire is to be in relationship with his beloved creation. God's desire is to know you and be known by you, by him. Sorry. God's desire is to know you and for you to know him. So what does God say about us and to us? When I was at my discipleship training school with Youth with a Mission, we did this little exercise, um, and I want to challenge y'all to do the same. I want to challenge you to put away every single distraction right now. Just sit, be still, and let the truth of God wash over you. If that means closing your eyes, close your eyes. But just sit and be still and listen to what God says about you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I'm familiar with all of your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. You are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but I'm the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all of your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. 
My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all of my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all of your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I will take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you, even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, I am not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved so that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home, and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father, and I will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. So what would it look like if you lived a life that was motivated only by what God said about and to you? What if there was no room for what the world had to offer you? Jesus only did what the Father was doing, and I want to challenge you to do the same thing. I want to challenge you, next time you make a decision, next time you do something, check in with the Holy Spirit. Ask God, does this line up with your motives? Am I doing this for selfish reasons? Or am I doing this because you've told me to do it? I want to take this last song as an opportunity to ask God a verse in Psalms. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me and know me. Are you willing to invite God into the depths of your heart? Are you willing for God to examine every single part of you, even the parts that you've tried to ignore and forget about? Are you willing to let God test you and examine your thoughts and your motives and see if they line up with His? Is there anything you're holding back from Him? Because if so, now is the time to give it to Him. Because He wants to lead you on the path of everlasting. But when you let those thoughts and those worldly motives creep in, you're opening the door for guilt, for shame, for condemnation. And that's not what God gives you. That's what the world gives you. So I want to invite you, as a physical act of obedience, to come up to the front, come up to the altar, sit at His feet, let Him speak to you. Let Him reveal your thoughts, let Him reveal your motivations. Let him show you what's holding you back from receiving his fullness. So as I was preparing for this sermon, God highlighted financial bondage to me. Um, And I know I'm guilty of chasing money before I chase God, but I feel like if that's something you struggle with, there's freedom for you today. So I wanna invite you to be obedient and respond and say, yes, God, you can have your way because your thoughts are way better than mine. 
Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.